Well, we're blessed to have Pastor Mitch today to come bring the message. Please welcome him. Well, good morning. It is good to see everyone this morning, and happy Father's Day again. And I feel like I need to start this with a, a dad joke. Um, so, and I just heard this a, a little bit recently. My kids, I had to share, and they were like, ugh. But I'm going to share it anyway. So, why did the blouse break up with the t-shirt? Because he didn't collar. Let it sink it because he didn't call her. Call her. Call her. Yeah. Dad jokes. There you go. At their best. And with that, we're going to close. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so today we're going to continue with our refresh series. And we have been looking at themes from the book of Acts. We are trying to understand what made the early church tick. What traits or characteristics um, were all about the early church and how they formulated those habits so that there were things that became normal. And that's how the church then grew and flourished and developed uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So through that understanding, our hope is that we can refresh our perspective on what our lives as believers look like today. And then we can begin to apply those habits and traits to our own lives. So, if you have missed either of the first two weeks, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to or watch Pastor Mark's messages. Uh, You can go to the church website, find them under uh, the Media Resources Recent Messages section, or on the Portview Church YouTube channel. Uh, Great ways to just, if you've missed any of those weeks, just to hear what we've been talking about so far. As a quick summary... In week one, we saw that Christianity is built on experiencing the supernatural activity of God, and that it is good to want and expect to experience that supernatural activity in our lives today, that those are good things for us to be seeking after. And then last week, we saw that when a person truly encounters Jesus, that transformation occurs. And that transformation in Christ is real, but... Some things take time and effort to change. So those are just kind of a backdrop of the first two weeks that we've had so far. And today we're going to look at another characteristic of the early church. And I'm going to give you the punchline from the very beginning. And then we're just going to dig into it from there. Okay? So, as our lives are transformed into Christ-likeness, we will live out our lives in worship to God. As we have our lives being transformed into Christ's likeness, we will live out our lives in worship to God. I think that's our goal. Now, from the very beginning this morning, I want us to understand this idea of worship, because we may all come in with different ideas and perspectives and thoughts on worship, and it can sound like a very churchy or Christian concept. And in some ways it is, but the concept of worship does relate to to every single person on the planet. Now, the word worship comes from an old English word. If you're kind of those word nerds, um, it goes back to this old English word, worthship. And worthship was something that was expressed to someone who was deemed, or something that was deemed worthy of worship. 
So we express how worthy something is to us by worship. And we proclaim that thing's worth. We proclaim its value to us when we give it worship, when we give it things. And that's what worship boils down to. Worship is simply about value, the worth of something or someone to us. And worship then becomes our response to what we value most. And in that light, it's important for us to realize again that everyone worships. Every single person, whether you live here in the U.S. or from Afghanistan to Panama to Germany to Zimbabwe, every single person is worshiping something. We attribute value to something or someone in our lives. Here in the church, we desire and we work towards attributing value to Jesus, the one who has died for us and transforms our lives from the inside out. But for other people, Jesus is not that something or someone to whom they express value. Some people might express and give the highest value in their life, their worship to the earth, the sun, the moon, the trees. They openly worship nature, the creation that's all around them. I mean, we know of cultures that bow down to those things and and worship them and reverence those things. There are others who worship religious people or belief systems. They attribute great worth to following a religious code of conduct. Or they give considerable time and energy to follow the teachings of a man, like Buddha. Or they value Allah and the teachings of Islam's prophet Muhammad. They center their lives on these created gods, these human teachings. There are still others who may consider themselves to be non-religious. They say, I don't believe in God. But here's the deal. They still are worshiping something. By their actions, they show that they might highly value such things as a relationship. They might value money. They might value status or stuff or some kind of pleasure. Whatever it might be, they assign great worth to it. And they proclaim with their lives that this thing is worthy of their affection, their attention, and their allegiance. They may not consciously do that, but through their lives and through their actions, they are attributing allegiance and honor to those things. Again, worship is directed toward what we value most. And how can we know personally what or whom we worship? We can simply think through how we spend or focus our time, our affection, our energy, our money, our loyalty. And if we follow that trail for those things, time and energy and and all that, those things will lead you to that thing or person of highest value in your life. And that is what you worship. That is that thing. And there might be multiple things. But those are those things that you worship. Now, for those of us who have come to experience the transforming work of Jesus in our lives, our goal is to worship him. And that's our ongoing goal. We want to worship him with everything that we have. We've experienced the forgiveness of our sins. We've received eternal life through Jesus. So we worship him, the one who has transformed us and continues to work in us. 
We direct our worship toward him. Pastor and author Louis Giglio provides this definition of worship as it relates to our Christian experience. You'll see it on the slide. It says, Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. Let me read that again. Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is for what he has done, and it's expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. As we recall who God is and all that he has done, we respond in worship. When we let those things sink into our lives, we respond by giving him the glory and honor that's due to his name. And it's expressed in and by what we say and in and by what we live. Ultimately, worship is a whole life response to God's greatness and glory and his activity in our lives. And throughout the book of Acts, we can read how the men and women in the early church did just this. They lived lives of worship to God. They responded to who God is and what he had done for them. And they lived their lives to bring honor to him and testify of his greatness. So let's look at one way our worship toward God is expressed this morning. And that is in and by the things we say. In other words, one way we can offer up our worship to God is through our lips, through the things that we say. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at a few examples throughout the book of Acts, so I encourage you to just leave it open and we're going to be flipping around a little bit. But in Acts chapter 3, we're going to see one example of this. And just to kind of set the stage as we head into this, we read that in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost has come. The disciples who followed Jesus' instructions to wait in Jerusalem were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And because it caused a little bit of a stir, Peter then speaks to a large crowd, telling them all about what was happening because they were like, what in the world is going on? He testifies about Jesus being the promised Messiah who's raised from the dead And as a result, 3,000 choose to follow Jesus and joined the disciples in a new life. So now we come to Acts chapter 3, and we read about this first interaction that disciples have with other people after the day of Pentecost. So let's read in verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. 
Now, notice here that Peter and John are simply going about their daily lives. As part of this new organism, the church, and as they are two of the leaders of this new church of Jesus' followers, they were going through their daily practice of praying in the temple. So they were going there. And as they go, a lame man at the temple gate catches their attention. He kind of flags him down. Now, he's looking for money because he has no other way to generate income. He's been lame forever and a day. And he's looking to them and says, hey, you got anything for me? Anything you can help me with? And Peter's like, dude, I got nothing for you. Well, and then he thinks a second and he says, well, at least financially. But I do have something else that's even greater. I've got Jesus and I want to share his power his healing power with you right now. And I'm sure the guy's just like, okay, whatever. I've heard this kind of stuff before. I'm, I'm kind of done. But Peter says, and grabs him by the hand, and he says, get up and walk. And he's attributing all of this to Jesus, and he's testifying that Jesus can heal this man. And he takes the lame man, he helps him up, and the man is healed. And if you grew up in kids' church, you know how the rest of the story goes through song right? Because now the guy gets up, he's newly healed, and he goes into the temple with him, and he's walking and leaping and praising God, right? Have you heard this? Or, okay, walking and leaping and praising God. Yeah, there's a whole song. If you want it, we can find it for you. It'll be great. Now, with that, I also need to put on my infomercial spokesman hat for a second and say, but wait, there's more. Because the story doesn't end here, because now there seems to be this recurring pattern as well, that whenever something happens, there's a huge stir all around them. So there's now this huge stir that happens because the guy is walking and leaping and praising God, okay? And there's all these people like, what is going on? No one ever does that. That's like irreligious. You can't do that in church. And he comes And they start to find this guy, and there's this huge crowd that gathers. And a crowd runs up to see what's going on. And Peter testifies to the people now that have all gathered that Jesus is the one who did this. That this man that you had seen lame five minutes ago, that you've been seeing lame as you walked by him for the last 40 years, is now healed. Well, that's because Jesus healed him. It's not anything I did. It's not anything John did. It's not anything that, you know, the people that were giving him alms did. Jesus, the risen Lord, has saved him and healed him. And Peter exalts Jesus in verses 14 and 15 as the righteous and holy one, the author of life. And verse 16, he says this to explain it all. He says, And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. With his lips, Peter brought honor and glory to Jesus, the Son of God, as the great healer in front of this gathered crowd. He explains that Jesus is the one who brought this. And so he's glorifying the Lord in their midst. But wait, There's still more because of the stir that's now happened and the crowd that's gathered, and they're actually starting to praise the Lord for what has happened. It causes enough stir that 
the religious leaders get involved. And they haul Peter and John in before them, in before the council, and they start questioning Peter and John about what is going on. And in chapter 4, Peter answers them about this miraculous deed in verse 10. And he says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Peter's directing the attention of the priests and the Jewish council, those religious leaders, toward Jesus. And he kind of puts it in their face a little bit and says, this is the same Jesus who you guys just killed. This is the same guy that you killed, but guess what? He is raised from the dead, and he is alive, and he is with the Lord Almighty right now. And he clearly makes it known that no attention or glory should go to either himself or John, but that all the glory, all the honor and praise need to be given to Jesus, the risen Lord. So we see one example of using our lips to testify to the Lord. When we have those opportunities, we can praise him in that situation. Now turn to Acts chapter 16, because we're going to look at another example of using our lips to worship and give him the glory that is due his name. And we're going to be picking up a narrative about Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas have been ministering in the city of Philippi, and they've been meeting with some of the believers there. This has become their, their daily habit as well. They've been in Philippi for a few days. They've met with a few people, and they've been able to share uh, Jesus and, and encourage them. But they start to encounter this slave girl, this slave girl who has an evil spirit that has uh, possessed her, and she, through that, is able to generate some income for her owners because she's able to go around and supposedly fortune tell. And so she's going around and she's saying, listen to these guys, they come from, from the Lord God. And to the point that it starts to irritate Paul a little bit, he gets a little annoyed, and one day he kind of has enough and he says, come on out of her, don't ever go back into her, I'm done with you. She, the evil spirit leaves her, and you know that's good for her, right? She no longer is possessed by an evil spirit. But her owners get a little bit upset because now their revenue stream has just dried up. They are no longer going to be making any income off of her. So they get upset. They haul Paul and Silas before the magistrates and they beat them and, you know, with rods and, and just, you know, mess them up quite a bit, throw them into prison. So let's pick up the story in verse 25 where we see what happens with Paul and Silas. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. 
Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So while they're stuck in a prison cell, Paul and Silas, we find them praying and singing hymns to God. It's around midnight, it says, and they're singing. They're exalting the Lord God. Even though they're uncomfortable, because remember, they can't move their feet and they had been beaten with rods earlier. I'm sure they're in a little bit of pain and uh, suffering a little bit in that prison cell. Even though that they are tired, they're exhausted. I mean, it's midnight. I don't know about you, but I'm usually exhausted around midnight. Um, we find them singing and worshiping the Lord. I can imagine them singing something like, How great is our God. Silas, sing with me, How great is our God. And they just continue to go, and they're flowing, you know, like in a, in a nice worship service, but they don't have any mics. They're in a prison cell. They can't lift their hands or their feet. They're just singing and worshiping the Lord with everything they have. Because they literally had a captive audience, all the prisoners were listening to them. Everyone is hearing what is going on. and They they really didn't have a choice. But Paul and Silas are singing and they're worshiping the Lord. They knew their situation was unjust. They knew that they were uncomfortable. Like, how many of you during worship, if you've had your hands up for a little while, you're like, Okay, my arms are getting sore. I'm going to put one down. All right. Okay, switch. You know, I get a little uncomfortable after a little while sometimes. But they fought through it and they said, we're going to still sing. We're still going to worship. And they knew that the Lord Jesus, whom they served, was worthy of their singing and their worship. He was even worthy of them being in prison. It was something that they were going to use their lips to offer up their worship to him. And we read of some of the supernatural activity that happened as a result. And I love how even the end of that portion that we read, the jailer came in and he, you know, he could have just, he could have died because if all the prisoners left, his life would have been in exchange for that. But he fell before them and said, what do I need to do to be saved? And they just said, believe in the Lord Jesus. Just follow him. And they were then able to speak the words of the Lord to him and to his family. And the story continues on that their lives were changed because of that. So we get to use our lips as one way to express our worship. But if we look back at our definition, we see that worship is expressed not only in and by the things that we say, but also in and by the way we live. Let's flip a few chapters to Acts chapter 20. And we're going to see another example from the life of Paul. And Paul here is making a return visit uh, with the elders in the church at Ephesus. He's coming back through and he wants to meet with them before he heads on to Jerusalem. And he wants to impart some encouragement to them. Some words that are going to help them to continue to live on in the faith. And so he shares these words starting in verse 18 of Acts chapter 20. It says, When they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, 
From the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then jump down to verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. We read in Acts chapter 19 that Paul had lived among the Ephesian believers for well over two years. He had spent a lot of time with them, helping them to grow and develop in their faith. And here, as he meets them again, he reminds them about how he had lived among them. First and foremost, he wanted to point out and remind them that he had served the Lord with all humility. He could have come in and and been this blowhard and had a lot of bravado, but he chose to live among them with humility and just honor the Lord in that, to say, yes, I could be these things, but I'm going to just humble myself I'm going to serve the Lord and follow him and what he wants. He chose to offer up worship to the Lord through his life. He humbled himself and followed Jesus' ways and the prompting of the Spirit as he dwelt among the Ephesians. And he taught and he testified regarding repentance toward God and a faith in Jesus. The main objective of his life was to glorify and honor the Lord God. And in verse 24, he considers his life not to be as precious as the glory and gospel of Jesus. In Paul's life, he said, Jesus is way up here and I'm way down here. He had that right perspective that Jesus is supreme and I'm way underneath. I'm just going to humble myself. I'm going to worship the Lord with my life. I'm going to offer him every minute thing that I have and it's not all that great but it's what I have it's what he's built in me and I'm going to just worship the Lord and offer it up to him in whatever way that I can and he wanted Jesus name to be proclaimed wherever he went and he writes this in his letter to the Philippians where he says indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So it wasn't just a fluke thing that he was talking to the Ephesians about. He writes it also to the Philippians and he says, my life and everything that it holds is loss. It's rubbish. It's trash compared to the surpassing glory and greatness of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he appeals to us, to the believers, to do the same with our lives. Because he writes in Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, bring him glory by worshiping him with your lives. Make every part of your life revolve around him. Make him the center and 
let everything else revolve around him. And whatever he would say, whatever he would want for you, let that be the thing that comes first. And just as Paul kept Jesus as the focal point of all his time, energy, and efforts, he encourages us to do the same. He lived it out before them, and he says, follow my example. Do the same thing. He's calling us to keep Jesus in view constantly. With every step or action we take through our individual days, we can keep our Lord and Savior Jesus in the center of our hearts and minds. We can recognize that he is worth being glorified and honored in all we do. And our attitude of worship can turn all of our tasks and responsibilities, no matter how ordinary or how exciting they may be, into an offering of worship to God. Because it's not about what you do, but it's about, what, but about who you do it for. It's not about what you do, but about who you do it for. So, some examples. You may think changing diapers is a non-glamorous job. Okay, it is a non-glamorous job. You know, at the end of the video, he was like, yeah, here you go. No, you got this. It's not something that we enjoy. But think about it this way. You can change those diapers for the glory of God. You're like, seriously? But think about it. In your heart, you can say, I'm going to worship God by changing this diaper and cleaning up the bottom of this precious one so that they can be comfortable again. And I also recognize if it's your own child that you say, I'm going to change this one because it, this, he or she is a precious gift from God to me. And I want him or her to be comforted and feeling right so we can change diapers for the glory of God. And then we can dispose of that not-so-precious gift where it needs to go. Right? Or maybe you work a retail job and you are constantly stocking shelves um, or you're just getting the product to where it needs to go. You can offer that work as worship by being precise in stocking the shelves. I remember when I worked at Target, we had to do a thing that was called zoning. If you've ever worked in retail, you're going to have different names for it. Um, But at the end of the night, we would have to straighten up the shelves, and there would be some days that you would have to be a lot more thorough. Um, But I remember one of the areas that I didn't like to do, but because of my precise nature, uh, I would spend a lot of time in, would be what they called at that time health and beauty aids. Okay, so the medicines, the cosmetic products, uh, things like that. And I remember there were a few times that I would spend a good chunk of time in the hair dye aisle because there are gazillions of colors and shades and products and wow. And you had to get them in all the right spot because that label said Auburn and this said light Auburn. And this said, lighter auburn, you know. And so we would be trying to put them all in the right spot. And sometimes you would just be like, this is ridiculous. Which maybe it is. Um, but there are other times where if, if I would say, okay, but I want to do this to the best of my ability to just honor God with my time and my work, I would also have that perspective that 
I'm getting this in the right spot so when the customer comes in and they want to buy lightest Auburn, they will find lightest Auburn in the lightest Auburn spot and not have to go digging through stuff and making a bigger mess. So if I get it in the right spot, I may never see what happens, but I know that they might have a more pleasant experience because they're just trying to get in and out because they've got a dye job that they have to get to in like 30 minutes. And I, you know, so I used hair dye as an example, but whatever it might be, there could be all kinds of examples and ways that we can give glory to God in our lives. If you're working a manufacturing line, you can be the best assembler or fabricator that the world has ever seen because you put your heart and soul into doing what is right in order to honor God. Or maybe you have to complete those monthly reports in your office, not only in a timely way, but also in a way that helps your boss or other leaders throughout the company understand the information more clearly. Or maybe you are simply able to share the love of Jesus with your coworker who's dealing with weighty matters of life simply by being there, simply by being uh, an open ear to just hear them and to show compassion and care. And all of it is done with a heart that simply wants to glorify and honor God, to worship him in everything that you do. Now, when we live a life of worship to God, we respond to who he is and what he's done in and by the way we say things and the way that we live, there will and should be a noticeable difference. People around us, believers and non-believers alike, will see that there is something different about us. There's an evidence of something. They may not be able to put their finger on it. Believers hopefully can. But there's something different about how we live life. And earlier, we read that Peter and John were brought before the priests and the Jewish council, right? They, due to the hubbub after the lame man was healed, they got hauled in before him, and they questioned Peter and John, and Peter had glorified and praised Jesus for what had occurred. Well, the story continues in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, and it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. The demeanor and character of Peter and John was so different than what they normally saw in the Jewish council. But they recognized that it was very similar to this man named Jesus that we had seen before. They saw things in Jesus when they had interacted with them that they were now seeing in Peter and John. They got a good feel through their interactions with Jesus on how he lived, how he talked, how he just conducted himself. And Peter and John were exhibiting things in a very similar way. And the men noticed that they had been with Jesus. It was noticeable. It was extremely apparent to the council. Think about it. How great would it be to be recognized by people as having been with Jesus. For in our own lives, how great would it be to have people recognize that we have been with Jesus? And it's not about us, but it's about what Jesus is doing inside of us. And let me share one final example from Acts regarding the believers 
who lived in the city of Antioch. A number of people in Antioch were believing in Jesus. They had been turning their lives over to him. And to help these new believers understand and grow in the way of Jesus, two men came, Barnabas and Saul, who we also know as Paul. They came and taught and did life with them for a whole year. Just investing, you know, day and night in, into these new believers. And as a result of their teaching and example, we can read about this result in Acts 11.26. It sums it up and says, And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. These new believers' lives had been changed, and they determined to live their lives in worship to God. And as a result, the city around them began to label them as Christians. Now, today, we think of it as a label that we put on ourselves. You know, you can ask, oh, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. But here, the context was that they didn't call themselves Christians. They were called Christians. And I think that's a big difference to say that we are called Christians because of the way that we act and that we live. The people there were not using it in a, a complimentary way either. It was kind of a derogatory statement that they were saying, Ah, those Christians, those Christ folk, they're all about living the way. That's what it was called back then. They were living the way. They're Christians. They're just, they're all about Jesus. I don't understand it. And so they were called Christians because of their actions, because of the way that they lived. And it was noticed by all the people around them. And my hope for each one of us here today, is that we can have that kind of thing being said about us. That we're part of those Christ folk. And not because we're crazy, but just because we live in a way that gives glory and honor to God in all that we do, all that we say. Everywhere we go, we're doing everything for the glory and honor of the Lord. Again, as our lives are transformed into Christ's likeness, we will live out our lives in worship to God. We see this in the early church practices, and we have many examples that we can draw from in this way. And our definition from earlier, again, was worship is, for the believer, our response, both personal and corporate, to God. For who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. So let's choose to worship him with our lips. You know, we have opportunities like this on a Sunday morning where we spend the beginning just worshiping the Lord with our lips, with our praise. We we give him that glory and honor in that way. So we can do that each and every day where we just honor and exalt him. That he is evident by the way that we talk, by the way that we say things. And then let's choose to worship him with our lives In everything we do, again, whether it's mundane or it is the biggest thrill that we could ever experience, let's reflect his character and demeanor. And as we do, may it be noticeable to those around us. Again, not for ourselves, not for our glory, not that our name can be known, but that the name of Jesus would be known, that it would be evident to all around us so that they can see the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. And hopefully, they will want the same for their own lives. They would want a taste of that and to see Jesus become the Lord of their lives.
Would you stand with me as we, we pray this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are so good to us. We thank you that you have given us so many examples through your word of how we can live our lives to glorify and honor you as our king. We praise and exalt you right now because you are our almighty God. We glorify the name of Jesus because he has set us free from the bondage of our sin, that he has shown us the way for a new life. And in this moment, we simply look to you and we ask that you would show us how we can begin and continue to worship you more with our lips and our lives. That our lives would be focused on worshiping you. That you would be the center of who we are. That everything else in our lives would revolve around you. That you would be seen as the glorious one in our lives. That we would honor you. That we would exalt you. That we would lift you up. Thank you, Lord. May we just continually draw near to you. And continually have you as the focal point for our lives. We love you, Lord.